0: by listening to Proof: Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: There were two more murders, fifteen miles we'll away. They found the, the telephone and
0: electricity lines uh-huh. described by one investigator
1: as reminiscent of a weird religion. <coughs> Morning. Cup of murder. Having a core set of beliefs is so important, and to fight for those beliefs is brave and admirable. But to put the lives of others in danger to do so is where the line must be drawn. On November 15, 1979, a man we know as the Unabomber put a bomb inside a plane and almost took the lives of 78 people and left 12 severely injured. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. The life of Theodore Kaczynski started off much differently than most of the men and women in our stories. That's not to say he didn't struggle. He was an ill child and was forced into isolation at an early age. His IQ in school was so high he was able to skip grades, which ultimately left him bullied. And his father shot himself in an effort to avoid his family watching him die of cancer. But ultimately he was a happy child, extremely intelligent, and had a family who cared for him. He entered Harvard on scholarship in 1958 when he was just 16 years old, and, though many believed he was emotionally unprepared to be in college, he graduated in 1962 with a bachelor's degree in mathematics and finished with a 3.12 GPA. During his sophomore year, Ted participated in a case study in which the subjects were asked to write essays dealing with their personal beliefs and aspirations and later be brutalized and attacked using the content of their writings. He spent 200 hours in this experiment and some theorized that this was part of MK Ultra. Many believe that this, along with the isolation experienced as a child and bullying as an adolescent, set off something in Ted that made him hostile and long for seclusion. Ted went on to receive his master's and doctoral degrees in mathematics at the University of Michigan And, in 1967, he became the youngest assistant professor in the history of the University of California, Berkeley. He resigned just a few years later and soon traded a life of academia for a more primitive lifestyle. He built a remote cabin outside Lincoln, Montana, and lived without electricity or running water. He worked odd jobs for the small amount of cash he needed to live, and taught himself to live completely self-sufficient and as a survivalist. Then came the thing that triggered his dark side. On the land near his cabin, a real estate company began working on development. He decided he could not live peacefully if corporations kept destroying the land. Initially, he was just performing small acts of sabotage against the nearby developments, but this would soon develop into something much more sinister. Between 1978 and 1995, Ted Kaczynski attempted to start a revolution by conducting a nationwide bombing campaign, targeting people involved in modern technology. During his attacks, he killed three people and injured 23 others and soon became the subject of the longest and most expensive investigation in the history of the FBI. His first bomb was sent by mail to Buckley Christ, the professor of materials engineering at Northwestern University. He grew suspicious when a package that he had never seen bearing his return address was returned to him. He called campus police, and when Officer Terry Marker opened the package, it exploded and injured his hand. Then, in what would have been his most devastating attack, on November 15, 1979, Ted sent a bomb to airline officials, and it was placed in the cargo hold of American Airlines Flight 444. Thankfully, his timing mechanism prevented the bomb from exploding. It had enough power that, had it gone off, it would have totally obliterated the plane. Because the bombing of an airline is a federal crime, the FBI became involved early in the attacks. At the height of the investigation, there were 150 agents working the case. This attack also lended to the moniker Ted would now forever be known as, University and Airline Bomber, or Unibomb. He would leave false clues in his bomb makeups, making it difficult for investigators to make a profile, though they were able to ascertain that he was obsessed with nature, and it was probably what influenced his attacks. The next bombing was in 1985 and left John Hauser, graduate student and captain of the U.S. Air Force, with four missing fingers and loss of vision in one of his eyes. The first casualty came in 1985 when Hugh Scruton, Sacramento, California computer store owner, was killed by a nail and splinter loaded bomb that was in his parking lot. A similar attack happened in Salt Lake City in February of 1987 and left Gary Wright with severed nerves in his arms and over 200 pieces of shrapnel in his body. After a six year break, Ted mailed another bomb to David Gellernter, a computer science professor at Yale. He was able to survive the attack but was seriously injured. That same weekend, Charles Epstein from the University of California received a package at home that, once exploded, cost him several fingers. In 1994, Thomas J. Moser was killed when a bomb was mailed to his home. According to a letter from the Unabomber sent to the New York Times, Thomas helped Exxon clean up its public image after the Valdez incident, and that's why he was the next target. Gilbert Brent Murray, president of a timber industry lobbying group, was the next to lose his life in 1995. By this time, Ted was sending several letters to media outlets demanding that his 35,000-word manifesto, Industrial Society and Its Future, be published if they wanted the bombing to stop. In this essay, he argued that his bombings, while extreme, were necessary to attract attention to the erosion of of human freedom and dignity by modern technologies that require large-scale organization. It was published by the New York Times and the Washington Post on September 19, 1995. The manifesto would prove to be his downfall because his unique writing style and subject were easily recognized by the man who would ultimately turn him in, his brother. Encouraged by his wife to follow his suspicion, David Kaczynski hired a private investigator to follow Ted's activities discreetly. He wanted to make sure he was absolutely certain before turning his brother over to the FBI. Finally, sure, David contacted the FBI and asked that they handle it delicately, wanting to avoid an FBI raid and its potential violent outcome. Ted Kaczynski was arrested on April 3, 1996, at his cabin in the woods. A quick search of the place made it abundantly clear that this was their bomber. His lawyers immediately began working on an insanity defense to explain Ted's crimes and avoid the death penalty. He was declared competent despite being diagnosed with schizotype personality disorder. On January 22, 1998, again in an effort to avoid the death penalty, Ted Kaczynski pleaded guilty to all of his charges and accepted life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. When asked to submit information to the Harvard Alumni Association's directory, he listed his occupation as prisoner and his eight life sentences as his awards. He remains in prison. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 16th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short,